Reading from the third chapter of Madhalila, Lord Chaitanya's pastimes after taking sannyas at the house of Advaita Charja. So we heard how Advaita Prabhu, at the request of Nityananda Prabhu, brought Mahaprabhu to his home after he'd been wandering for three days in Radhadesh in madness after having taken sannyas. Although Advaita invited him on the plea that, one, he had no change of cloth and had just bathed in the Ganges, which was technically also the Jamuna. And secondly, because the Lord had not eaten for three days and Advaita Prabhu wanted to offer him some palmful of rice and a little sabji. So the Lord went with him and, as we heard, he prepared Advaita Prabhu a huge feast. Sita Thakurani cooked, and Advaita Prabhu offered to the deity, and there was one metal plate and two banana leaf plates, and all filled with hundreds of wonderful preparations, the extent of which Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami says he could not describe. He only highlighted some of the very special preparations. Mahaprabhu was brought in by Advaita Charja, to see the offering, and in great joy he responded that anyone who offers prasad like this to the deity of Krishna, I take the dust of his feet on my head, life after life. So it's not hard to please Krishna. Patram pushpam phalam toyam yome bhakti prayachati. He says he can offer items that are readily available to anyone with love and devotion. Advaita Prabhu, of course, was not a man of small means. All the universes emanate from him. And in his appearance in the Varlila, that great Sadashiva, Mahavishnu, was a wealthy Brahmana of Shantipur, very sophisticated and cultured gentleman. He held Bhagavad Gita discourses at his house regularly and preached Nam Dharma of Krishna Sankirtan and Kali Yuga. He preceded the appearance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and as we know, he had much to do with bringing about the advent of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Based on his compassion for the fallen souls, he called Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to appear in the form of the Yuga Avatar. And it's befitting that Advaita would call him, because the Yuga Avatar is an incarnation of Mahavishnu. It so happened, as Chaitanya Charitamrita describes, that the time for the advent of the Yuga Avatar happened to coincide with Brajananda and Krishna thinking very deeply. It coincided with a very introspective moment of Lord Krishna wondering about the nature of his beauty and how it charms Sri Radha and what is her experience in relation to that and the nature of her love and so forth. So with the descent of the Yuga Avatar called by Advaita, Brajananda and Krishna in the ecstasy of Radha descended as well. A very special appearance in this Kali Yuga. And although Advaita's primary concern in one sense is with the Yuga Avatar, it is not that he was unaware that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was actually superior to him and the very source of his own self. Krishna's too, Bhagavan Sayam is said in Srimad Bhagavatam. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is that Swami Bhagavan Krishna. So Dvaita is actually an incarnation of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. 
he's aware of this in the Leela and regularly tries to assert his position as everyone does in this Leela, even the avatars of the Lord, that they are the servants of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This pav, ego of being the servant is so rich, so rewarding, that they readily discard their purusha bhav to adopt the ego of a servant of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So who are we then to take lightly this opportunity for serving God at all? What we'll speak of serving Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Radha and Krishna, Rajendananda and Krishna? We should try to appreciate the special opportunity we have and look and see how these Vishnu Tattva are looking at it. So Advaita in this way invited Mahaprabhu and this is one of those instances in which he tried to assert that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, you are the Supreme Godhead, I'm really your servant. So he oversaw the preparation and then by Sita Thapurani, and then he made the offering personally. He showed Chaitanya Mahaprabhu the offering arrangement after it had been made. This is the pleasure of the devotee. It is said by Vishwanath Chakrabhati Thakur, Chatur Vidhasri Bhagavat Prasad, Sadhanatriptam Hari Bhakta Sangam. That he very much likes to see the devotee, the spiritual master, nice foodstuffs being offered to Krishna. And then in turn he likes to see that the bhaktas are nourished by that prasad. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was not thinking, wow, it's a big feast here and I haven't eaten for three days and this is really going to be satisfying. He was satisfied to see that Krishna had eaten so nicely to the extent that he mentioned, as I've cited already, anyone who can offer like this, I take the dust of his feet on my head. It doesn't mean that one has to make a fancy offering. As I mentioned, Advaita Prabhu had great means. So he made an appropriate, befitting offering. But Krishna said, Patram Pushpam Palam Toyam. So even if you have nothing, you have to have some water, a leaf, a flower, or a fruit. He speaks of these in the singular, Lord Krishna in Bhagavad Gita. If you have any one of them and you offer it, you have to have water to live. I will accept it. It doesn't mean only these things. It doesn't mean all four of these things. It means, according to your means, offer sincerely with your heart. And this corresponds. What are your means? How much you will offer that has some correspondence with the heart. It's not meaningful to say, I've given my heart, but I've only made a very meager offering. Because more important is the heart. As we've often said, we should give to the extent that it hurts. Then we know that we're giving. And when we've given enough and suffered enough from it, felt a pinching enough that we just surrender to the very principle of giving and just give of our being constantly, then great gain we'll realize from this. As it said in common English parlance, to give is to receive. We have to realize that. This is what Bhagavad Gita is about. This is what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mission is about, very simply put. And give in such a way as if you don't think about the receiving end. One of my Gabbardas once asked, O Mishnipad Bhaktivedak Siddhadeva Goswami Maharaj, that you speak about giving, investing in the bank of service. But my question is, when do we get to draw something out? And Sridhar Mahaprabhu never. Discard that thought altogether. Throw that away. 
Don't think like that. One of my disciples once asked me, I'm giving, but I'm not getting. I said to him that that is the whole problem, that you are thinking about getting, and that to what extent then are you really giving? Not very much, therefore you're not getting. <laughs> so we should put in the bank of service. We should invest regularly, and what shall we live on, we'll think. This was the question of my God brother to Shudamarsh. What will we live on? We'll give everything, all we have, not just our material resources, but our very self. If we don't draw on it, how will we be sustained? But just like in banking, if you give and give and give into the bank, invest, invest, in time there's interest that builds up. For a period the interest is very meager, and so you might get a little thin. Maintenance might seem a little meager, but as we convert the enjoying ego to the servant ego, just given that bank, in time, the dividends, the interest builds up to such an extent that we live on those dividends of knowledge and love of God. So it's a wholesale conversion. Don't attach getting to your idea of giving. Give according to your means, so some pinching should be there. It should hurt a little bit. Then we know we've given something. So what we give externally, that does correspond with, with our heart. We can't just say, well, I, I gave my heart, but I didn't have time to make uh, a nice offering or we didn't spend any money on that. As if the two are distinct, there is a correspondence. It is the heart we are to give, no doubt. Krishna's message in Bhagavad Gita is, is that, really. It is said that Krishna has everything, so sometimes people argue, what shall we give him? Why should we give him? He has everything. But the devotees reply, oh, there's one thing that he's missing, sir. What is that? He's missing his heart. He gave that to his devotees, to the gopis in particular. So if you, sir, will please give your heart to him, he will readily accept that. Well, this is the idea of bhakti. Advaita had that kind of heart, big heart. Big offering he made. And brought the Lord in to see that offering, and the Lord was very pleased. He took pleasure in seeing how the Lord is being satisfied. And then he thought like a bhakta, and now I'll take a little bit. I'll take that palm full of rice and little vegetable that you offered me as a sannyasi, and I will be on my way. Advaita Prabhu said, you sit down, I will distribute the prasadam. Mahaprabhu said, how can I sit down here and eat at these plates? He thought that those plates, the banana leaf plates, were for the Lord. The metal plate was for the deity, and the two banana leaf plates were for the two lords, Nitai and Goranga. So Advaita finally grabbed him and pulled him down, sat him down at the seat. Before that, Mahaprabhu had invited Mukunda, come on, please, it's Haridas, take prasad. They knew what was up. Haridas, in his humility and in his unwillingness to disturb the social system beyond reason, kept at a distance. So I will take the remnants from a distance. I'm not fit to be here. Mukunda, the singer, Kirtanir, made excuses. He had something else to do. Please, you take prasad. So they wanted to facilitate and honor Advaita Prabhu's desire to serve Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Nityananda Prabhu like two lords. To serve Krishna and Balaram, Mahavishnu. You know, in Bhagavatam, Mahavishnu made a big arrangement to get the darshan of Krishna and Arjun by stealing one after another after another of the Brahmin boys, the sons of one Brahmin, 
And when they could not be found anywhere by any Chatriya, and he questioned the very standard of leadership in the society, he was a religious man, he followed properly why this thing was happening to him. Arjuna, of course, came forward as a great warrior and said, I'll find those children, if I don't, I'll give up my life. And, of course, he couldn't find them. And Krishna could not bear the idea of Arjuna giving up his life. So he took them and they went beyond the material coverings to the Vishnu Lok, and there Mahavishnu had all those babies and said, I wanted to get your darshan. What wonderful things you are doing on the earth, Krishna and Arjuna. Like that discussion in Bhagavad Gita, so nice, where you said, Ekam Senastito Jagat. I like that verse very much. Where you said that I, Mahavishnu, from whom the whole Jagat comes, am but a spark but a fraction of you, but a plenary portion of you, ekangsa, ekangsa Very nice, I agree. My obeisances to you, Krishna. So Advaita in Garlila wanted this opportunity to worship Chaitanya Mahaprabhu like this. And Nityananda Prabhu was Balaram, Balaram Haila Nitai. Of course, Nitai Prabhu had no problem sitting down to take prasad. He was some kind of sannyasi. We don't know. <laughs> Not of any kind of formal orthodox sannyasi by any means, but definitely not of this world. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's role was that of a paka sannyasi. He preached to all upper class people. His whole leela of taking sannyas was to get recognition from the upper class people. The Brahmin boy misunderstood Mahaprabhu, schoolmate, offended him, misunderstood his bhav, his purpose. And so Mahaprabhu said, I will. I will take sannyas. This Brahminical orthodoxy, then they respect the sannyasis. According to the smartas, according to Shankar, then one has to be born in the Brahmin family and take sannyas to get mukti. So these people were running the religious society. It was a socio-religious system, and they were at the top. They were running it. Mahaprabhu wanted to preach to the upper-class people, intelligent people. He also wanted to preach to the low-class people. For that, he commissioned Nityananda Prabhu, whose behavior was already unorthodox. But for himself, in preaching to the upper class, then he kept a very strict profile as a sannyasi. So he told Advaita, I cannot sit and eat. So much food is not proper for a sannyasi. How will sannyasi control his senses if he eats so much? Advaita Prabhu, as I said, grabbed him and dragged him down and said, Don't talk to me like that. I know the purpose of your sannyas. I know the secret of that and what it's all about. You can't fool me. Sit and take prasad. I will serve. And if you can't eat everything, no problem. Eat whatever you can and the rest will be distributed. Mahaprabhu acquiesced to the desire of Advaita to serve him. He sat down gently to one of the prasad and Nityananda Prabhu crashed himself down beside and said, I thought you invited me to a feast. There's not a morsel here, practically, to eat. Who would be satisfied with this? This is the opposite of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. <laughs> and so some mock fighting ensued between Advaita and Nityananda Prabhu. Nityananda complaining, Advaita criticizing him. What kind of sannyasi are you? Complaining like this, coming to my house. Just come to fill your belly, that kind of sannyasi. You've taken sannyas just to solve your economic problems, going to the rich householders to get a meal. 
That's all. Who knows what caste you are? What kind of sannyasi are you? What is your sampradaya? He's saying that Nityananda Prabhu is beyond all caste, beyond any uh, formal lineage. Nityananda Prabhu wore his bhava on his arm, as they say, outwardly. Mahaprabhu, in his persona, tried to contain that to some extent for preaching. So these two were fed sumptuously by Advaita. The mock fight between Advaita and Nityananda Prabhu and other instances like this that we hear about in the biographies of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Nityananda Prabhu caused some less intelligent people to think that there were differences between Advaita and Nityananda Prabhu and they make offense to Nityananda Prabhu. He was a very, very hard person to understand. That's why, as I've said in Chaitanya Charitamrita, Krishna Kaviraj Goswami begins in introducing Nityananda Prabhu with five verses in his Mangal Charan that speak about the Aishwarya of Nityananda Ram, how powerful he is, how he is the source of all the Vishnus, Seshanag, Ananta Sesh. He gives his ontological position right from the start, so we can get it straight, because some of the things you're going to hear from this part on may be difficult to understand what is Nityananda Prabhu's position. You see, Many of these things that we understand or appear to understand so easily and take so readily that don't seem hard for us to understand when it's said that they should be is because we don't really have a very deep sense of the whole culture, what the sacred literature is really all about, and where this bhakti comes in and how it's so extraordinary. Lord Krishna's offer to for devotional service is so extraordinary. Just think of me, not like Shishupal, as a devotee. Other people may think of Krishna, like Shishupal did, constantly in enmity. That is not bhakti. So this is manmana and madbhakta. Think of me, but as a devotee, think of me. He says, don't think of me and be a devotee, however, in name only. Worship me, offer me incense, flowers, all desirable items, as are described in the revealed scripture. It's all devotional service. Madhyaji, worship and sacrifice. Make your life a sacrifice unto me. Namaskuru, whole body prostrated before me. Be a real devotee. And just do this, that's all. Simple thing, and I promise you, you'll come to me. I give you my word. This is the essence of Bhagavad Gita. Krishna mentions this twice, in the ninth chapter, and then at the end. Actually, he finishes Bhagavad Gita before this verse. He tells Arjuna, so now you do what you like. Make your decision. He tells him that this Bhagavad Gita may appear outwardly to be about my desire for you to fight. In the beginning... If people read, they will think, oh, he's trying to convince Arjuna to fight. But that's not what this book is about. This book is about teaching the absolute truth, the ultimate goal of life. What does Krishna say at the end? He tells Arjuna, fight, but not because it's your duty as a warrior, but because I want you to. That's all. In devotion to me, I want you to do this. And he says, and if you don't, You'll fight anyway, because you'll succumb to your lower nature. You can't avoid it. If you don't come under my care, 
my supervision directly, then you'll be under the supervision of my material energy. He's not trying to convince Arjuna to fight. He's trying to convince Arjuna and all of us to be a devotee. And he makes a strong argument for Arjuna. Although he gives Arjuna a chance to deliberate, he says so anyway. You're going to fight if you don't listen to me. I suggest that you do. Who am I? Ishvara Sarva Bhutanam, Arjuna Tishtati. Material nature is in control, apparently, and will take over your life. But I'm in the background as the Ishwar. And the Paramatma, I'm in the heart, seated in the heart. I'm there. You should give yourself to me. This is who I am. I'm the Supreme God. He's speaking about the Paramatma. But it's a little bit blurred because the devotee holds in his heart, not the Paramatma. If he's devotee of Ram, he holds Ram in his heart. You've seen the picture of Hanuman opening his chest and Sita Ram is inside his heart. He's a devotee of Krishna. Krishna is in his heart. Yam Shamasundaram Achintagunasurupam. He sees the Shamsundar in his heart. So it can be taken in either way. But Krishna ends the Bhagavad Gita there. He says, Iti, thus, so. Anyway, I've said it. Now I've given you this most confidential knowledge and you decide what to do. But then he goes on. <laughs> he starts again. He doesn't want to give Arjuna really a chance to decide the wrong thing. I told you confidential knowledge of Brahman, the nature of the self. I told you Guhyataram. More confidential knowledge, knowledge of myself as the Supersoul. And now Guhyatamam. I'm going to tell you something more secret, even more confidential. The truth about me and devotion to me. This is my message to you. Manmanabhava Madhbhakta. He reiterates again what he says in the ninth chapter. That whole eighteenth chapter is a summary study of what's gone before. So he's come to this point. This is the apex then of Bhagavad Gita. And as I say, we don't appreciate it fully because we don't really understand, according to the sacred literature, the scriptural canon, what's involved in just gaining release, moksha from this world. What to speak of love of God. This love of God, Dharmartha Kama Moksha, you find it throughout the scripture. Where is the talk about Prem? It's there. But it has to look to see. What comes on the surface is the four goals of life. And Moksha is the fourth of them. And to get that is very, very, very difficult. And there is a scriptural canon that we are to go by. To go through the system. And Krishna works through that system in Bhagavad Gita. His message is a message of love that's woven through this fabric of the whole religious structure outlined in the sacred literature. So he emphasizes one thing at one point, another path at another point. This is all comparative religion. And as he goes through that, if you study that, you can get a little discouraged. You think, my gosh, what's involved? Bhagavad Gita, of course, just gives a glimpse, but you have to understand it in context. What is the scriptural body that it's part of? To follow the path of dharma, this is the low end, to be a religious person. You run away to hear that. What you'll have to do, how you'll have to conduct yourself, how many rules you'll have to follow, how many procedures you'll have to go through, how many things you'll have to remember, how your life will be restricted <laughs> in so many ways, propitiating different gods and goddesses at different times. And, and if you do anything wrong, big problem. Atato dharma jignashu. This is Jaimini's beginning. 
Now's the time for inquiry about religion for all you human beings. We should be inquiring about this. Prabhupada used to say, Atato Brahma Jignasu. This is Uttar Mimamsa. Jaminis' doctrine is the Purva Mimamsa. And Vyas gives Uttar Mimamsa. Atato Brahma Jignasu. Atahato. Now, therefore, it means in one sense, after having passed through Dharma Jignasu, inquiry into the nature of religion, and gone through that whole path and purified your heart, moving from all type of religious practice to strictly functioning according to the prescribed duty as enjoined in the scriptures with detachment from the results and still performing all those duties, getting knowledge as adhikar, eligibility for knowledge comes. Now you can inquire into the nature of Brahman, the conclusion of the scriptures. This is the general standard that Ramanuja has taught, so many have taught. Of course, we find some exception. There's an exception, how you can qualify for inquiring into Brahman without having to pass through that. What is it? Sadhusanga, sadhusanga, sarva shastrikoi, lavamatra, sadhusanga, sarvasidihai. In the language of Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami. This is a good fortune of all of us. Prabhupada came and created our good fortune, our adhikar, for inquiring not only about Brahma, but the Rasajik Nashu, far, far beyond Brahman, what to speak of religion and irreligion. Such a high thing. And this is what Krishna is offering. Sri Krishna Chaitanya. Krishna offered in Bhagavad Gita, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu showed how to do it in his Leela, that same Krishna. So if you know about these things, if you know about the, what is the life of a dharmic life, and then what is the life of a jnani, a monastic, very, very difficult. Very difficult. They have rules also. They don't have to follow the Dharma rules of Dharma Shastra, but they have their rules. Very, very difficult. And people are doing this to get liberation for life after life after life going through these stages. And out comes Krishna and says, Sarva Dharman Purityaja. Forget it. Reject all of this stuff. Reject all this Dharma. Now, how can he be saying this? Earlier he talked about it. Again, because this is a course on comparative religion. To show indirectly the glory of bhakti, he speaks about other means as well. And then he speaks directly about bhakti. In contrast, we can see, showing one path and comparing it to bhakti, we can see its particular qualities, its speciality, its beauty, its charm, its expediency, the heart of all the Shastra. Krishna's offering his heart to Arjuna and everybody at the conclusion of Bhagavad Gita. Just do this. It sounds simple to us, but if we really knew, as I say, what that means, reasonable people who know the scripture, they think, how can he say that? How is it possible? When these devotional renderings come out, not everybody understands Bhagavad Gita in that way. The Mayavadis, they think, Sarvadharman, Prityaja, Mamekam, Sharanam, Braja, Sarvadharman, Prajaja, okay, they give up all religious duties. And surrender to Krishna, who is the Brahman, and moksha isham, you get moksha. Be a monastic, and he will give you moksha. And you won't have to worry about any sins incurred from dharma, because you're not going to be doing any dharma. You have adhikar now to transcend that plane. Very dry conclusion to Bhagavad Gita. And how can you do that? Well, you take brothers of Brahman, and you have to take sannyas. Not a very popular religious idea. The masses will complain. And Mahaprabhu was coming to answer them all. Actually, Krishna is. But Mahaprabhu was giving the understanding of Bhagavad Gita. This is accessible to everyone.
If they're not envious, gentle people, gentle souls, and they take advantage of good association, then they can take this express route. Very easy. It may seem hard to us. You have to do all these things, rise at a certain time, chant and offer your food. We think these things are difficult, but we don't know what alternatives are out there. It's very, very easy. Very easy and very, the result is very great. Makes the results of other practices insignificant in comparison. So when you combine these things together, great results, easy practice, give it to unqualified people even. As I said before, that is the second glory of bhakti. One is her post-liberated status and the other is her generosity. So it's her generosity that we complain about, but it's her generosity that we cannot do without either. We complain about it when bhakti enters someone else's heart and that person doesn't take full advantage even though he or she is a devotee and makes a disturbance, makes offenses. We complain, but we have to temper our complaint with the reality that the generosity of bhakti is our greatest fortune. She came to us as well. What is our qualification? So she may come to anybody and she will qualify them gradually if they don't make offense, if they actually practice. So it is easy to please Krishna. Patram Pushpam Palam Tayam Advaita Charja pleased Mahaprabhu. Mahaprabhu sat with Nityananda, they took the prasad. And this is one instance in which he fulfilled his desire to establish in public the position of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And actually Nityananda Prabhu too, although as I say that the interaction there causes some people to misunderstand, but they don't study carefully what is the position of Nityananda Prabhu in relation to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Without his kripa, there is no question of understanding Nityananda Prabhu. So these are the three lords, Advaita, Nityananda, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu of Chaitanya Lila. And this is one instance of their wonderful interaction. So Advaita said, my great fortune is that you've come here, don't talk. In yellow words, just begin to take prasadam. Saying this, Advaita supplied water and so that the two lords could wash their hands. And they sat down and, smiling, began to eat prasad. Nityananda Prabhu said, I have undergone fasting for three days continuously. Today I hoped to break my fast. Although Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was thinking that the quantity of the food was enormous, Nityananda Prabhu, on the contrary, thought it was not even a morsel. He had been fasting for three days and had greatly hoped to break the fast on that day. Indeed, he said, although I am invited to eat by the way to charge it today, also is a fast day. So small a quantity of food will not even fill half of my belly. So it's a little difficult to learn from some of the activities of Nityananda Prabhu. As I said, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taught ideally how we should look at the offering for the Lord and not coming just to fill one's belly. But Nityananda Prabhu in the full bhav of Balram, <laughs> it's no problem complaining about not enough, having enough food. I thought said, sir, you're a mendicant traveling on pilgrimage. Sometimes you eat fruits and nuts and sometimes you simply go fasting. I'm a poor Brahmin and you've come to my home. Please be satisfied with whatever little food stuff you've received and give up your greedy mentality. Whatever I may be, Nityananda said, you've invited me here. Therefore, you must simply supply as much as I want to eat. 
His divine grace, Dwaita Charge, after hearing the statement of Ritinanda Prabhu, took the opportunity presented by the joking words and spoke to him as follows. You are a reject, Paramahamsa. You have accepted the renounced order of life just to fill up your belly. I can understand that your business is to give trouble to Brahmins, which is true. Nityananda Prabhu's business was to give trouble to this Brahminical orthodoxy. We had a monopoly on religion and spiritual life. Advaita Charja accused Nityananda Prabhu saying, You can eat 10 to 20 manas of rice. I'm a poor Brahmin. How can I get so much rice? Whatever you have, though it be a palmful of rice, please eat it and get up. Don't show your madness and screw the remnants of food here and there. In this way, Nityananda Prabhu and Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu ate and talked with Advaita Charja jokingly. After eating half of each vegetable preparation given to him, Mahaprabhu abandoned it and went on to the next. As soon as half of the vegetables in the pot was finished, Advaita Charja filled it up again. In this way, as the Lord finished half of the preparation, Advaita Charja again and again filled it up. After filling a pot with vegetables, Advaita requested them to eat more. And Mahaprabhu said, how much more can I go on eating? Advaita said, please do not give up whatever I have already given you. Now, whatever I am giving you, you may eat half and leave half. In this way, by submitting various humble requests, Advaita made Mahaprabhu and Nityananda Prabhu eat. Thus, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu fulfilled the desires of Advaita Charja. So, although Chaitanya Mahaprabhu fulfilled the desires of Advaita, Advaita could not satisfy Nityananda. Again, Nityananda jokingly said, my belly is not yet filled up. Please take away your foodstuff. I have not taken the least of it. After saying this, Nityananda Prabhu took a handful of rice and threw it on the floor, as if he were angry. <laughs> Very uncultured. When two or four pieces of the rice thrown touched his body, Advaita began to dance in various ways, with the rice still stuck to his body. When the rice thrown by Nityananda Prabhu touched his body, Advaita Charja thought himself purified by the touch of the remnants thrown by Paramahamsa Nityananda before he began dancing, Advaita jokingly said, My dear Nityananda, I invited you, and indeed I have received the results. You have no fixed caste or dynasty. By your nature, you are a madman. So he got his satisfaction. Relations with Nityananda Prabhu too. To make me a madman like yourself, you have thrown the remnants of food at me. You did not even fear the fact that I am Brahman. Nityananda replied, These are the remnants of the food left by Krishna. If you take them to be ordinary remnants, you've committed an offense. If you invite at least 100 sannyasis to your home and feed them sumptuously, your offense will be nullified. Advaita replied, I shall never again invite another sannyasi. For it is the sannyasi who is spoiled by Brahminical smriti regulations. After this, Advaita made the two lords wash their hands and mouths. He then took them to a nice bed and made them lie down and take rest. Advaita fed the two lords clothes and cardamom mixed with tulsi flowers. Thus there was good flavor within their mouths. Advaita then smeared their bodies with sandalwood pulp, then placed very fragrant flower garlands on their chests. When the lord lay down on the bed, Advaita wanted to massage his legs, but the lord was very hesitant and spoke to Advaita as follows. Advaita, you have made me dance in various ways. Now, give up this practice. Go with Mukunda and Haridas and accept your lunch.
So we'll stop there.